up in Miami, Florida, we were very accustomed to dealing with hurricanes. But one caught our attention like none other. In 1992, a devastating hurricane came through by the name of Hurricane Andrew. And Hurricane Andrew, I don't know how to explain to you unless you've sat through a hurricane what it's like. Um, like a real devastating hurricane. But the sustained winds of Hurricane Andrew were 155 to 165 miles an hour constantly with gusts of 225 miles an hour. When they leveled entire developments. Entire houses were gone. They, they brought bulldozers in and, they, and they, just, they just scraped the debris off and they just started from scratch again. It was so bad, I remember down south of Miami, my cousin's house was buried by trees and we had to take chainsaws and work our way down there to try to get his house uncovered from trees. And fortunately, it didn't do a whole lot of damage to his house. But I can remember on the way going down there, the best way I know how to describe to you was a store like a Walmart or a Target that's cinder block. And I can remember going down in the trucks and there was... You, you couldn't, you had to, you, you just had landmines everywhere, trees and stuff everywhere. And I remember looking over, there's a video somewhere, I don't have it, one of my friends does. But as you look to what would be, what we would consider to be the size of like a Walmart store, there was nothing. The cinder blocks were gone, the roof was gone, the walls were gone, everything in the store was gone. The only thing left was the concrete floor and some rebar that went through the cinder block. Now, that's a powerful storm. It was devastating. I, I can remember it. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like a freight train for the entire time that you sit through something like that. It can be very terrifying. You don't know what's going to happen. I remember we had radio-powered, uh, uh, battery-powered radios and even a battery-powered little TV. And the newscaster was casting news during the storm and a caller called in and said, hey, I, I, she was crying, it was a young lady, and she was terrified. I'll never forget hearing her voice. She was, she was it, it was a terror in her voice that you could not duplicate. She said, my roof's gone, my house is gone, the only thing left is my bathroom, and, and, there's, and it's open, and stuff's hitting me, and I'm laying down in the bathtub. My God, what do I do? And the newscaster said, the only thing you can do is wait it out. I mean, just... A storm like that, the sounds are just gripping. I've never been through a tornado, but from what I hear from accounts of people that have, the sound of that tornado is just terrifying. I want to tell you that, that when wind really truly blows strongly, it's a terrifying experience. But I want you to look at that in terms of on the day of Pentecost. What an exciting event that happening in the opening pages of the book of Acts. Place yourself in the narrative if you can. What a dramatic scene. Here's 120, including Jesus' own mother, and brothers, and disciples, and others, and they're sitting in a 10-day prayer meeting, and they're all in one mind, and they're in one accord, they're in unity, they're in togetherness, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. When we come together, we can accomplish a lot in the kingdom of God. If we will lay aside our personal agendas and have a kingdom-minded agenda and an agenda that is all about Jesus and the kingdom of God, we too will see the power of God fall in our lives. But I want you just to picture for just a moment, if you're in there in the upper room, I can imagine Peter, James, and John just kind of hanging out and 
maybe the disciples and they're you know you they're praying some, they're talking some, they're studying the Torah some, and and they're and they're in there, and I can just see the three of them now talking about his death, about his burial, about his resurrection, about him talking about how he's going to ascend, and and you got all this, and the ascension just happened. And, and, the, and I can just see him talking about, man, did you see him just fly through the sky and disappear, man? What, I mean, and they're talking about this. And as they're talking, all of a sudden, a sound comes like no other. A rushing mighty wind invades their prayer meeting. And here comes a mighty wind, a violent wind. And it got stronger. And it got stronger. And I can imagine as they're looking around, they're thinking, what in the world is this? They've seen so many things, and now they hear a wind like no other. The sound of the Holy Spirit shakes them up like they never could imagine. And the Bible says, suddenly there came a sound. Everybody shout sound. As of a rushing, mighty wind. <laughs> It didn't start as a whisper. It didn't start as a gentle breeze. It was not gradual, but it suddenly came down. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The wind of God exploded into reality. It filled the room with the sound of a hurricane. And I have to imagine, in that upper room, there had to be a certain level of terror. What in the world is going on? Because heaven has its own sound. Heaven has a sound that can't be duplicated. And when God's ready to do something, He will come and He will do it suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. Rushing mighty wind. The word rushing is translated from the present passive participle of the Greek word pharaoh, which means to be carried born or driven and agrees with the idea of something born or driven downward very loudly. In other words, it was a commotion going on. This was not something, just a nice little breeze. This was not a cute little thing they had, 120 going on. This was something that shook the whole city. And you'll see in Acts 2 here in a minute what I'm talking about. When the sound came from heaven... It was so loud, but it also, the Greek text word for the word mighty is bias, a Greek word which could be better translated violent. So the sound thundered like a roaring of a sea or a mighty wind, and it swept downward very loudly and very violently. This was not your ordinary Israel breeze. This was not a fan oscillating in the corner. This was a loud, violent wind and sound that came from the heavens. Woo! I would to God it would happen again. When the wind of the Holy Spirit blows upon a near-dead individual, he will blow life back into them again. When the wind of the Holy Spirit comes and blows into a near-dead church, he'll blow life back into that church again. Somebody shout amen. 
when all our organizing is done, when all our, our structures are in order and all the things that we can do man-made are done, and that's well and good, but there's no power behind it. If we'll get the Holy Spirit and we'll pray the Holy Spirit to come down, glory to God, and blow strongly upon us, it'll cause vision, it'll cause dreams, it'll cause individuals, it'll cause peace and joy to come back and a church to come back to life again. It'll cause communities to come back to life again. Oh, I'm not against structure and organization. We need those things to be able to handle what God sends. But what we need more than anything is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What we need is a fresh move of the Holy Ghost. Woo! He wants to pour out the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit upon you and do two things. One, he wants to blow out some things. <laughs> he wants to blow out addiction. He wants to blow out pride. He wants to blow out lust. He wants to blow out gluttony. He wants to blow out gossip and slander. He wants to blow out lying and heartbreak. He wants to blow out bondage and chains and hurts. He wants to blow out unforgiveness and bitterness and rebellion and envy. He sees some things in there. See... When the Holy Spirit comes down and the wind starts blowing, he sees and detects things that are not of God in our lives. And he says, well, you don't need that envy. You don't need that lust. You don't need that gossip. You don't need that gluttony. Let me just blow it right out. Hallelujah. And you could have Robert Robert's uh, uh, Schuler's, uh, you know, ten ways of speaking positive. Till the day you die, I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to this anymore. And you can try your hardest. If you'll just let the Holy Holy Spirit blowing your life, he'll blow it right out. Can I get a witness? But the second thing he wants to do is pour out the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit upon you and blow in some things. He wants to blow in salvation. He wants to blow in freedom. He wants to blow in healing. He wants to blow in love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. He wants to blow in the good things of God. And again, we can say all day long our New Year's resolutions. Oh, I'm going to be joyful this year. Oh, I'm going to love if it kills me. I'm going to this if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive if it's the last thing I do. I want to tell you we work so hard. And what we need is the Holy Spirit to blow out the junk and blow in the fruit of the Spirit. Woo! Charles Finney, he wrote how God gave him mighty and fillings of the Spirit. Here's what he said. He said, that went through me as it seemed body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were their means of their immediate conversion. My words seemed to fashion like barbed arrows and the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. Sometimes, he went on to write, I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. I would go and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray with the same results. I would then set apart a day of private fasting and prayer. After humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return upon me with all its freshness. This has been the experience of my life. Man, I'm telling you, the answer for our life is more 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives, more yielding to the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit blowing in us and through us. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is seen in two basic concepts. One is the direct extension or the representation sent from God the Father. Now, there, there are biblical symbols in the Old Testament that show up that symbolize that they're, they're symbols of the Holy Spirit. And when you read them in context, you know he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Things like wind, water, fire, oil, a dove, and so forth. But there's one major exception to this concerning the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I want to break this down. And it's found in Joel chapter 2. In fact, it's so powerful. Verse 16 says, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. In other words, what I'm about to tell you is so important, stop the honeymoon. For Jewish Old Testament Jews that you didn't mess with the old, you didn't mess with the honeymoon. And what he's saying here is, what I'm about to tell you is so important. What I'm about to tell you will shake you up so bad. It'll rock your world so good that you need to stop the honeymoon and come out. Because you got to hear what I got to say. Somebody say amen. He'll have you on the edge of your seats. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. God wants to pour out the Holy Spirit on you. Watch verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is very different from the rest of the Old Testament. This is written roughly about 900 years before Christ. Now, it was there. It kind of laid on the floor. But... It was just something that they couldn't understand. It was just so different. A rabbi could tell you what it said, but they had no idea what it meant. What do you mean you're going to put the Holy Spirit on us? You're going to put the Holy Spirit on us? I know, I've read about the Holy Spirit in Exodus 19. He shows up, rocks start tearing in two, earthquakes are happening, mountains are on fire. The voice of God is terrifying us, and we don't want any part of that. And to an Old Testament Jew, he says, I'm going to pour out that spirit on all flesh. They think, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm a goner. Verse 29, it gets even better. He says, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He makes it sound like to an Old Testament Jew that God's going to pour the Holy Spirit, his spirit, on your Gentile slave. To an Old Testament Jew, you're trying to tell me, Joel, that the same Holy Spirit on the wonderful, great, and mighty prophet Isaiah is going to be on my Hittite slave girl too. They couldn't grasp it. It blew their mind, kind of like the rapture and the end times blows our mind because we can't understand exactly what it is. Put yourself in their shoes 900 years before Christ. They had no idea. They couldn't understand it. This was revolutionary thinking. Then verse 30, there's going to be, you know, pillars of smoke and the, and the moon's going to be red and there's, and there's fire. You know, what does this mean? I don't know. Rabbi, what does this mean? I don't know, but I don't think I want to be a part of it. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get it. And then now you're telling me in this society, 900 years before Christ, in a Jewish Middle Eastern culture, that God's going to pour His Spirit on women and children in that society? 
That's revolutionary thinking. They could not grasp what he was trying to say. But I want to tell you what God ultimately through the prophet Joel, roughly 900 years before Christ, roughly almost 3,000 years ago was trying to say was this. I am going to pour out my spirit on all people, regardless of their gender, regardless of their age, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their culture, regardless of their social status or their economic status. If they belong to Jesus, I am willing to pour out my spirit. Woo! Every truth in the New Testament is every, every, let's see how, I don't want to say this. Every truth revealed in the New Testament is a type and shadow of the Old Testament. It's like flashcards in school. How many of you use flashcards in school? Yeah, you, you know why you did? Because they worked. <laughs> they don't use them anymore. Why? Because they worked. Imagine that. It's an ingenious thing. But what would you do? They would hold up, you know, four times three, 12. Five times five, 25. Right, so you you would you would learn that two times three is six, and you would get that, and you would see the flashcard. And what would you do? You'd go to math class, and when the test would come up, and you'd see four times three, you would remember the flashcard, write down twelve, and you'd get the right answer. How many know? How many use flashcard? I'm gonna see you showing them hands. Okay, all right. So you, if you're under forty, you may not even know what a flashcard is. For those of us over 40, we do, and it worked. Amen? Most of the Old Testament, much of the New Testament that's revealed the truths are, are Old Testament flashcards. So, for example, when Paul says, this is the acceptable year of the Lord, what he's really saying is this is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the day that they made all of us who were unacceptable, acceptable. And Jesus is the very embodiment of this. Another Old Testament flashcard is John the Baptist at the river. And he says, this is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He was going to Old Testament flashcards, if you will. In John 14, you have a very unusual couple of verses. Put yourself in an Old Testament perspective because, you know, the New Testament hasn't happened yet. And Jesus is teaching and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'm going to take you to be with me where I, that where I am you may be also. We understand that. For an Old Testament person that's listening to that, that is very unusual high priest talk. The high priest in the Old Testament didn't go to the Holy Holies to take you there because you would die. He didn't even want to go there. He was terrified to walk in there. Yet our high priest says, hey, not only am I going to go, I'm taking you there. To an Old Testament Jew that's looking at this, they're looking at this going, what are you even talking about? I'm not going behind that curtain. Anybody that looks at that thing dies. I, I'm not doing this. Do, do you understand the power of what's happening here? Jesus is trying to take them somewhere and do something that they're like, I'm not too sure about this. So let me go on. So here's Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples who are raising an Old Testament mentality. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait till you receive power from on high. Old Testament Jew mindset, oh, this ain't working out good for me. <laughs> uh, every time he showed up in the Old Testament, bad stuff happened. You know, God's like saying, if your animal even touches the mountain, it's dead. And you're telling me, I'm going to go wait for that to come on me. Put yourself in their shoes. 
different world back then. And then I want you to preach the gospel around the world. And then he says something that blows your mind. He says, oh, and by the way, this is a good thing for you. This is a best thing for you. Because if I go away, the Holy Spirit, the comforter will come on you. And, I, you know, if I'm in that society, I'm thinking, okay, I know Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. But I don't read too good of stuff like this. And he says, oh, by the way, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He's going to come on you like he did Gideon, where he's going to grab you, wrap you around him, and take you for a ride. See, it's one thing to walk by, side by side with God hand in hand. It's another for God to say, hey, we got some work to do, and so you're just going to have to come with me, and I'm going to wrap you around me, and I'm going to take you on a journey that's going to blow your mind. And what God is saying to us today is, I don't want to just walk hand in hand with you. As an individual, I want to carry you. I want to wrap you around me. I want to take Bridge of Hope and wrap Bridge of Hope around me. And do something that will transform the whole world. I believe in this stuff. Somebody say amen. It's one thing for you to walk side by side. It's another to be saturated in every fiber of your being inside and outside with the Holy Spirit of God. And so on the day of Pentecost, here the disciples are, and they didn't know what was going on. Listen, we know the story because we've read it. We understand it. Many of us do. But in their shoes, they're hanging out on the 10th day waiting for some promise. They don't even know what they're waiting for. They're really, you know what they're doing? They're just celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. They're talking, hanging out. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, bam. Wind comes violently and loudly. The cloven tongues of fire. Oh, man, this stuff's happening. And somewhere along the way, Simon Peter stands up and he says, Hey, 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 I remember the flashcard. This is that. I read 900 years ago this was going to happen. None of us understood what it meant, but now we see. <laughs> this is that. It's Old Testament language. It's Old Testament. It's Old Testament thinking. And this is what God wants to do in our life. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He stands up. He says, this is that. And he preaches. Listen, a well-organized, well-thought-out, superbly powerful, unprepared, on-the-moment, instant in season and out sermon. That's 26 verses in which he lists Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior 25 times and and 5,000 people get saved and baptized. That'd be like me preaching the first Sunday at Amity Elementary. And at the end of the sermon, all of Deer Park gets saved. The whole city. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, you got to remember, he was just a fisherman. He was an unlearned man. Unlearned means he was, it wasn't he was ignorant and dumb. He just wasn't a student of the word. See, you, you know, that gives me hope because you don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to be a great Bible scholar. You don't have to be a great seasoned pastor to preach the gospel, to just share Jesus with other people. That's what preach literally means, share Jesus with other people to the lost and they get saved. What we need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And when we are, God will save souls. Hallelujah. So it's Joel chapter 2. He says, man, I recognize this. And they start hollering. They go, oh, you guys are all drunk. He goes, are you kidding me? I can't get 120 people drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John the Baptist prophesies He said, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. <laughs> I find it interesting, John the Baptist, that the first person to preach on the Holy Spirit was a Baptist. Ha, 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 ha. That was corny, but you laughed. Amen. Look, this is Old Testament language with a decidedly New Testament flip. He says, listen, I'm going to baptize you in water, but somebody's coming greater than me. Watch this. Old Testament mindset. They don't even know who Jesus is when he's saying this. He said, but he's mightier not, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I'm out there by the river going, fire. When people die, I don't have any idea what this guy's saying. I can just see him now. Margaret, do you have any idea? She's like, I don't have the foggiest idea. The guy's crazy. Look, you got to put yourself in their shoes. They didn't understand what John the Baptist was saying. As a matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament Jews didn't even understand what they were saying. Like they would understand one in ten words. They just kind of rolled over them. And that leads me to my second point. I want you to catch this now. God wants to give you power through the Holy Spirit. Right before Jesus ascends, the verse before he ascends, the last thing he says is, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and to Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, witness means being willing to be a witness, but also being willing to die for that witness. So in the movie Braveheart, when Mel Gibson dies... He hollers out, freedom, if you've seen the movie. Was he a witness or a martyr? The answer is yes. He's both. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be a witness, but sadly, too many Christians are attempting to witness without the power. They're attempting to give society water when there's nothing in there. And they don't go to their prayer closet, and they're not in the Word, and they're not filled with the Spirit. And they come like the seven sons of Sceva, and they say, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and who others preach. And the devil's looking, and they say, I don't even know who you are, and there ain't nothing in there. And they all of a sudden jump on them. I want to tell you, long ago are the days when we need to show up and tell anybody without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a dry sponge. Try washing your car with this dry sponge. It needs to have some soap and it needs to have some water to get it clean, especially now with all the junk all over from the roads, right? Listen, you can't wash your car with a dry sponge. You ought not, if you're not filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word and filled with the Holy Ghost and filled with His Spirit and filled with Him, you ought not even try to witness because you need the Holy Spirit. And when you get full of the Holy Spirit, that's when you will do some awesome work. Does that mean you never witness if I'm not? No, you need to. But the point of what I'm saying is every day get in the prayer closet and get filled with Him so you have something to offer. Somebody say amen. Man, the Holy Spirit will bring the power to see people saved and their lives changed. 
Watch, you want to see one of the greatest examples of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do in our life? It actually happens with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke chapter 1. Watch very closely. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. They think Mary's somewhere around 15, 16 years old hearing that. Verse 34, 35. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? In other words, I'm a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is born will be called the son of God. I want to tell you that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He impregnated her with Jesus. She birthed Jesus to the world for the purpose of glorifying Jesus to the world. The Holy Spirit wants to come on you and fill you so he can impregnate you with Jesus Christ so that you'll birth Jesus Christ to the world so you'll glorify Jesus to the world. Somebody say amen. Yeah. So in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the day of Pentecost had fully come. That means it's just it's fully there. It's at least 9 in the morning. We don't know what time exactly. But we do know it happened at that time. And the Bible says that rushing wind, that, that ruach showed up that we talked about. I remember hearing a story from Mark Rutland, Dr. Mark Rutland. He said they were in Africa preaching, and he was, and it was a stifling hot day. And they told him they wanted to preach on witnessing. But he felt led to preach on the Holy Spirit, so he used Acts 2. He said, well, I'll just preach that the Holy Spirit will give you power to be a witness. Exactly what I'm saying. He said three minutes into the sermon, he said it was stifling hot. They opened the windows to get some kind of breeze in there. Just a blistering hot African day. He said three minutes into the sermon, he said a breeze started blowing through that place. He said the pages on people's Bibles started ruffling. The doors unlatched and started banging together. It was like a mighty wind blowing in there. And they looked outside and there was no wind blowing anywhere outside. It was only in the building. He said somebody cried up, stood up and said, Holy! And the power of God fell and they all hit their face and spoke in tongues and prayed and worshiped. He said it was one of the most powerful experiences of his life. Listen, do not negate the powerful wind of the Holy Spirit blowing that mighty rushing wind. Amen. So here you have in Acts 2, you got the wind, and then you got the tongues of fire, and you've got, you've got all the elements, and that's when Peter looks, and he says, oh, I remember that, this is that. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. In fact, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak with other tongues. I want to tell you something. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and He wants you to speak with other tongues today, right now. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke with other tongues. Everybody. Now let's have some fun. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 through 6. Watch this. This is where you're going to have to take your traditional glasses off and read the Bible for what it says. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. As a matter of fact, if you count them up, there's about 16 different nations represented that the Bible lists. And I'll show you here in a minute. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. 
What does that mean? Okay. Everybody from right here, everybody look at me. You too, Debbie. Debbie, hi. You look at me. From right here, over. I want you in the next 30 seconds to tell me everything in a normal voice that you've done since you woke up this morning. Like, you know, I woke up this morning, put my feet on the floor, I got my bedroom slippers, I stumbled downstairs, turned the coffee, whatever it is. I want you just in a normal voice. Are you, are you ready? And now from everybody from, from this row, Carissa, Jim, and, and young man, you at the top, everybody over, I want you just listen. Are you ready? Okay, so everybody at the count of three, you ready? Just in a normal low voice, just regular voice, just start telling us what you did. Ready? One, two, three, go. Come on, keep talking. We want to hear. Oh, that's so good. Oh, I can't believe you did that, Mindy. That's fascinating. Okay, stop. Dr. Lively, what did Mindy Pendleton say? Leon. What did Greg Eastham say? Brother Steve, what did Caitlin say? Now, wait a minute. Mandy, Caitlin, Greg, were you talking in English? Do you all speak English? Then what's the problem here? Watch this. You have 120 people all speaking at the same time. And over 5,000 people people hear in their own native language what God says and they are so moved by it they all get saved and baptized on the spot that would be like 120 people listen we don't know it was at least 5,000 got saved but there were some there that mocked so we know there was more than 5,000 that would be like 120 of us going to Cincinnati Red Stadium and all talking at the same time and Cincinnati Red Stadium that is filled with people all understand exactly what God is saying to them at the same time in their own language, Russian, Chinese, Parthian, whatever, and they're all so moved they get saved and all baptized in the river that day. See, we think, we think Aunt Betty spoke in tongues and Uncle Fred interpreted for the Parthian. That is not what happened here. They all were speaking in tongues and the miracle was divine communication that out of 16 nations, somehow Lisa's speaking mead and I speak mead and I'm over here and I can clearly understand what she's saying to me. My God, you need to hear what I'm saying. Your lost loved ones may be out there on skid row, but God knows just how to communicate. God knows how to just to get a hold of them. He knows just where they're at. He knows what language to speak. He knows what to say. Man, I've come to tell somebody, this is one of the greatest miracles in the entire Bible. And God will do it today. <laughs> 
All you got to do is pray, God, enlighten the eyes of their understanding. Take the blinders away, and God will speak from your heart to them wherever they're at in the world, in their life, at 3 in the morning when they're asleep, and say, I'm going to communicate to you in a way you can't deny, in a way you can't push away, in a way you can't get. Listen, God will speak through us in a way that Deer Park cannot deny. Oh, I come to tell somebody, you be encouraged. God can communicate. Woo! What's the miracle here? The fact that 120 spoke in Parthian and Medes and Cretans and other languages, or is that people heard in those languages? Wow. Watch Acts 2, 8 through 11. Check it out. How is it that we hear? 120 speaking at the same time. Listen, we had we had we had 50 or 60 talking in the same language at the same time, and everybody understands the English in here, and you couldn't understand what they were saying. How is it we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Count them off. You ready? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. It seems to me they spoke in tongues, I believe this, and each person heard that in their own language. We couldn't understand 120 a minute ago. That's called a divine communicative miracle. Xenolalia is a specific language God gives you like God gives you French. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, a heavenly language, but have not love, and he goes on. First Corinthians 14, 15, we saw this a few weeks ago. What is the conclusion? Then I will pray with the Spirit, I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding. The miracle here is divine or supernatural communication, and God knows how to, commute to every, communicate to every person in a way they can understand and receive Him. That means the onus isn't on us. That means I don't have to be perfect in my sermon. You don't have to be perfect in your witness. All you need is to let the Holy Spirit flow through you, and He will convince them. He will bring them to God. And coming weeks, I'll tell you the story. Mark Rowland was baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, but he also was given a, a Spanish divinely on the spot, perfect Spanish. And, and just all of a sudden, boom, there it was. So watch Acts 2, 17 through 18. I'm almost done. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Peter's quoting Joel. Flashcard. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Look, it's happening, he's saying. Your young men will see, see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men's service and my maid's service, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Remember, it's, it, that pour out might be better rendered emptied out. As if a cloud burst uh, was broken open. As if a Niagara had suddenly been poured out. God wants to pour out His Spirit on all flesh without regard to, to, to gender and age and all that. So watch this. God says, here's what I want to do. You're dry. 
You, you need, man, you can't do nothing with this. But oh, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, when you empty the air out of this thing. Oh, when you get saturated with it. Now all of a sudden, man, you've got something to offer. I'm not even applying pressure. Look, it's leaking out. So here's what God says. <laughs> oh, let's have some fun. God says, I wanna, I'm going to dip you. And man, I'm going to call you back to the word. I'm going to call you back to worship. I'm going to call you back to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to saturate every part of your being. So everywhere you go, man, everywhere you go. My God, I'm going to preach to somebody. Everywhere you go, my Lord, everybody's going to feel the effect. Everybody, everybody. My Lord, do you feel? Oh, I wish somebody would catch this revelation. My Lord, and you're full, and you're full, and you're full. Hallelujah. Glory. Pastor, I leaked out all week. That's all right. Come on back in here on Sunday and get filled. Get filled. Man, I wish somebody would catch this. Come on, I got to send you into a, a dark place at work. I got to send you to some family members who don't know me. I got to send you to a community who doesn't understand me. We've got to be filled. When you get filled, just another minute, when you get full, God gives you point number three, boldness through the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.36, therefore, Peter speaking, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is a very different Simon Peter than before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my blessed Lord. Listen, when people would come, and you don't have to put any more scriptures up. When people would come uh, to report on preaching for John Wesley in the Wesleyan Revival, he said, did they throw you in the lake? No. Did they stone you? No. Well, did you see a great revival of souls coming and being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit? No. He said, well, then you didn't preach. And nothing happened. He said, if there's no riot and no revival, go back to the prayer closet. Get filled with God. Because when God shows up, there's riot or there's revival. But it's impossible for nothing to happen. Man, I want some people. I want some people that will stand to their feet right now and say, this is what I want. Oh, man, I want it so bad. I, I want the Holy Spirit to just leak out of me. I don't want to be dry. I don't want to be destitute. Oh, I want the Holy Spirit. Look at all this water. I want Him to just keep flowing. And everywhere I go, to the workhouse, to the church house, in the community, everywhere I go, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hands toward heaven and say, pour him out on me, Lord. 
Pour out the Holy Ghost on me, Lord. Come on, begin to pray. Come on, begin to pray. Prayer team, I want you to be filled. I want everybody to be filled right now. My blessed Lord, just receive from the Lord.